When Physical premiered on Apple TV Plus in 2021, no one was quite prepared for what creator Annie Wiseman had in store. Over the course of three seasons, her gimlet-eyed, darkly funny look at fitness culture, gender roles, and 1980s San Diego proved to be a Trojan horse that tackled everything from local politics to eating disorders and female friendship, not to mention that cruel inner voice that so many of us have. Wiseman joined IndieWire's new deputy editor, crafts, and special projects, Mark Pikert, on the Filmmaker Toolkit podcast to talk about the series as a whole and its moving final episode. Here is the wide-ranging conversation. I'm very excited to speak with you about Physical Season 3, and the most important question is going to be the first. Is Zoe Deschanel's sitcom Trish Out of Water a secret <laughs> in-joke reference to Barbara Star, Go to Vista Del Mar. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm a huge fan of Barb and Star, Go to Vista Del Mar. And I, we do have a connection to that show through Ian Gomez, who plays um, Greta's husband, is, who is Annie Momolo's partner in real life. So... I like to think, and also Rose Byrne's connection to uh, Kristen Wiig through Bridesmaids. So I like to think, and, and, and to Annie Mamala. So I like to think that we are in the same DNA. But no, there's no official, only great fondness and affection from all of us for that wonderful film. <laughs> I mean, you can really trust a woman in Trish, even a sea spirit in Trish. Absolutely. You know, we had um, sometimes shows within shows or books within shows you know, they can become like uh, real rabbit holes for the writer's room. You know, when when you have an opportunity to title something like that. I mean, just the the, the tremendous waste of time that we can get into. Um, so much fun, you know, just pitching all those ideas. And so just say Trish Water was the winner out of many wonderful pitches from the writer's room. Shout out to writer's rooms in these times of um dwindling uh fees for writers just have to get my my um wga um plug in there as well so um wonderful writers room pitch um and coleman herbert one of our writers was the winner with trish out of water couldn't beat it unbeatable you really can i would i would absolutely go to like youtube right now and watch all those bootleg episodes of trish out of water <laughs> i know well, it just sounds like one of the shows that I um, enjoyed as as a kid, you know, that were like, I tell my children about, like, you know, when I was a kid, there were beautiful women playing um, pretend genies on television. And that was what we, that was our entertainment. And, and the women who played those characters were like brilliant entertainers and comedians. And they were, you know, forced to play parts that were perhaps, you know, beneath their skills and abilities. And yet... That, that was what was available to them at the time. So that's kind of how we saw her in the vein of one of those, you know, wonderful 80s entertainers um, like a Lonnie Anderson or a Suzanne Summers or a, um, you know, a, in that in that era of of actress entertainer. I mean, and that's something that is really so striking about season three. And I, I want to talk about Kelly and. Sheila becoming the personification of Sheila's inner voice and what that means as Sheila as Sheila continues to battle those demons but for the first time physical really leans into 
the idea, the concept of what the 80s means to us with Kelly and with certainly with the commercial, which is the most yes. 80s thing imaginable. Yes. I mean, it's so delicious. And so uh, unlike the cookies, it's so delicious. And Yes. <laughs> you may not be old enough to remember figurines, but that was what was the, our inspiration. I'll take a compliment with every interview. So thank you for that. <laughs> uh, but you're also getting the chance with the Kelly character to, especially in uh, the fourth episode of the season, which I really want to get into with you, to really explore the notions of what, of the era's femininity or the ideals of femininity and what that yes. means in terms of TV actors in particular. Yes, uh, that was the idea. You know, we... Seasons one and two, because they are set in the early days of the 80s, it was really important to me to uh, to be authentic to what that era actually was. It's really still the 70s. The 80s, as we know them, quintessentially have not yet begun. They need to be invented. These are the people that are inventing what we think of as quintessentially 80s. They're making that culture. They're making what we now understand to be the, the height of 80s style and fashion and culture. So so finally with season three, we get the opportunity to really be peak 80s. And so in episodes four and five, when we get to that fitness expo, that was really where, you know, what we've been kind of swimming towards this whole time where we really get to go full throttle in terms of 80s fitness culture, 80s fashion and style, and then 80s femininity. Uh, and um, in all of its kind of strength, but also lacquered on top with that sheen of, you know, femininity and sexuality and non-threateningness. And so Kelly kind of represents the, the, a, a peak example of that. And so when Sheila sort of locks into her, she sees, oh, you know, as women often do, oh, there's someone who's getting it just right. And she becomes fixated on her. And uh, yeah, that that's kind of what we're what we're exploring. Well, and when I spoke to Stephanie about this season and about Kelly in particular, she was saying that neither of you had any concept of what Zoe was planning to do in terms of the the accent. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. And you know, we she came in and she and she you know had this and the, you know the way that it was written. It's funny because one of our, our the writers that I work with, Coleman Herbert, who had come up with Trish Out of Water, you know, he's from the South and there was a kind of lilt to it and a and a, a, a cadence that felt, you know, that ended up feeling kind of, you know, su Southern in a very affected way. And so she kind of locked into that and just felt right for it. So, because she's really playing two characters, you know, she's playing the, you know, the Sheila, the, the, the Kelly of, you know, reality and then the Kelly of, um, of, you know, this parasocial relationship that Sheila basically creates with her imaginary Kelly in her head. And so, you know, it really gives her an opportunity to play that, like this over the top affected character, you know? And, um, so it's fun in, in that way, it's a fun challenge for her that she totally, you know, knocks out of the park. So I'm curious, I want to come back to something, um, in a moment, but I'm curious if you always knew that Sheila's voice would go through these gradations from uh, season one is so is so vicious, is so negative, 
season two, it's uh, she's learning how to tune it out a little bit. So it has to get a little more persuasive. It has to be a little more seductive. It has to uh, give out a compliment here and there and then keep her on keep her on its hooks. And then season three, it is fully in, within the personification of someone else who is in many ways all of the things that Sheila is not or does not perceive herself to be capable of. Right. That's such a good way of putting it. I love that. I always knew that I wanted it to evolve, you know, as she um, went through um, recovery. And I knew that I always conceived of it as kind of like an abusive relationship where, you know, as you start to get a handle on it, it sort of shifts on you. And like you said, it takes new tactics and maybe tries appeasing and, you know, it's not going to go quietly in that way. But the idea of it shifting into this other kind of relationship really evolved over the course of the show and in working with the writer's room and in just seeing and working with Rose and in just seeing the way the show evolved. It was really just an idea that came up as we um, developed the story and it felt right. So my my larger question, because now now that it is a, a, a completed season, or it will be by the time people listen to mm-hmm. this interview, what changed for you in terms of the story from the initial pitch and the initial outline to where Sheila ultimately ends up at the end of season three? Well, wow, that's such a good question. They were definitely there. I mean, I knew I knew this was a journey of empowerment, a journey of recovery. Um, I knew I wanted to be honest about the difficulty in getting there. Uh, I think what evolved were really relationships that that kind of bore fruit. One of the main ones being her relationship with Greta, because that was really because what happened on screen between the two of them was so compelling. And what became what and it's really about Deirdre Friel's performance. It's about the chemistry between the two actresses and so that character became richer and this journey of friendship just really became so central in a way that I hadn't initially anticipated so that's really the fun of getting to make a show over multiple seasons is getting to kind of follow what is getting such creative traction and and just you know lean into what's just bearing all this fruit and that was really fun to get to do and not and I didn't anticipate it I always try to, uh, I will watch a pilot for something. And then if I'm not a huge fan of the pilot, I'll give it a couple of episodes and then I'll jump in to like episode six or seven because the writers mm. have met and gotten to know the actors and they start writing to yeah. those strengths and you really see That's um, something really interesting happening. Uh, yeah. That was nothing. I mean, physical, I was, I was sucked in right from the beginning. I had a brief moment in the first episode of, Wait, I thought this was going to be a fun riff on Jane Fonda's rise to aerobics ascendancy. <laughs> this is not what I thought it was oh, going to be. Yeah. But other than the slight twinge of, okay, what ultimately happened is you created this kind of genius Trojan horse of, hi, here are a lot of serious conversations that we are going to treat seriously, but not heavily. And mm-hmm. we are going to force American critics and audiences to engage with these things that have been swept under the rug or reduced to the status of a TV movie for decades. That's right. I love the way you're putting that. That was exactly the goal is to say, okay, you have, I mean, I'm attracted to that as a writer. I mean, I'm attracted to things that people ha- underestimate, you know, and that that's sort of the inspiration to me 
as you know, someone, a woman from Southern California, as someone who, you know, has been underestimated most of my life. You know, I'm attracted to themes and ideas that people already have a preconception about and then just sort of whipping the rug out from under them and and showing them what is that in fact kind of, you know, quite dark and serious underneath it. And that's just how, you know, I move through the world and experience it and when I'm attracted to writing. And that's what we try to do, you know, with the show. And it's interesting because I think in terms of storytelling, it's that balance of having plans and then also, you know, because that really gives structure and gives momentum and and you need them, but also having that flexibility to follow what's really becoming, you know, what the show is becoming. And so ideally you get to do both. Uh, I don't want to linger on this uh, or talk about it too in, in detail, uh, but the initial reviews of the show were, um, the initial, I, will, I should say, many of the initial critics who wrote about the first season were reviewing a show that they wanted to watch and not the show that they were actually watching that you were making. Yeah. And was that disconnect frustrating knowing where you were planning to take Sheila and the stories that you were planning to tell beyond those first three episodes? Yeah, I think people did definitely, there was a sense of how dare you, we thought it was one thing and it's something else. It would be my take on it a little bit. And so having, you know, the only disappointment of that, like I said, I knew that was kind of the point. So in a way there were, the response was sort of enacting what we were, um, you know, reflecting about the culture in a way. But I think the, the, you know, the, the only, the fear when you get that response is, oh no, are we not going to get, is this going to stop our momentum or are we not going to get to keep going where we're going? So I think luckily, you know, we had the, um, you know, we had enough of a sort of groundswell of support and interest that, that we, you know, were able to continue. And then I feel like people have kind of gotten on board. You know, I, I think I understand there is a there is an off-putting quality to some of the material at the beginning that was that people kind of had a strong reaction to. And that seems to have, you know, dissipated as the show's gone on and um and sort of proved itself. And I think um yeah, I would definitely characterize some of some responses to Sheila as a little bit having some uh, sexism to them. And, you know, that's not something that I would, you know, initially I would, I would sort of hesitate to make that claim because it sounds defensive as a writer, but, you know, I've been emboldened by some other writers recently who've just kind of come out and called responses what they really are. And I feel like, you know what, I'm ready to say that too. I think some of the responses, a little sexist, a little, how dare you be you know, you're such a beautiful woman. How dare you be sad? How dare you be mean? And, you know, we sort of go, it's kind of the point, you know? <laughs> and I think uh, people have really eventually gotten on board with that as the show's progressed. So I will 100% say that a lot of the initial reviews were sexist. And I will also go so far as to add, as someone also with uh, a very vocal inner voice, uh, mm. the, the number of people who were stunned stunned at uh, how mean someone could be to themselves in their mind uh, made me very yeah. jealous of their lives because what a lovely way to go yeah. through life. Right. I mean, I'll just say that like 
both Rose, Vern, and I talk a lot about how much we get these so many people, women and men, tell us what how reflected and seen they feel by the show. And so we just feel like that's the really, really meaningful response. And it's so gratifying to hear that. It's just unbelievably gratifying. Some of the most gratifying stuff I've heard from people have been, um, you know, really kind of vulnerable of responses from people I know or don't know who kind of reach out to me and share their stories and say how seen they feel by it and also how um, they maybe understand someone in their life a little better. And that is like, wow, I, if, if, if there's, if, if I don't get any other reward from doing this, that would be quite enough. Cause really that that's like to, to, um, help generate empathy for other people. I just feel like that's kind of the highest goal for me. As much fun as season three is, and it is a lot of fun and not since uh, Halt and Catch Fire have I seen, have I been so excited about seeing two women working to build an empire together <laughs> in some of the sequences oh, yeah. in season three. Uh, the the most brutal moment for, for me, and I think mm. in general in the season, uh, is when uh, Kelly, uh, Sheila's inner voice, says, yeah, but maybe the reason you got to do all of this was because of me. Mm. And it's the vocalizing of that fear that without that uh, taskmaster, cruel inner voice yeah. goading you forward, you will not have ambition. You will not be able to go to the gym at 6 a.m. Yeah. and do a full day's work and then make dinner, make a healthy dinner. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Are it all familiar to any of us? Yeah, that was something I, I felt strongly about, you know, being honest about that in the process of recovery, it's not just simply... Um, it doesn't just simply, it, it goes, it trends in the direction of getting better. But one of the kind of backlash um, experiences that I've had um, is that fear of, oh my God, exactly what you said. What if, what if the, um, you know, what are, whatever it is that, that the, the compulsion, the anxiety, the taskmaster, what if, what if, what if I need it? What if it's crucial? What if it, you know, and that's back to the idea of that's what an abusive relationship is really about. Well, this is what I deserve. This is what I, this is actually what's, what's key to my success. And so that's a lie that uh, we, um, but it's a very um, compelling one. And so we wanted to sort of package it in that beautiful kind of flirtatious and seductive, you know, package of Kelly saying it, because that to me reflects what what it feels like what that fear feels like oh my god what if i get better and then i never do anything excellent again <laughs> sheila sheila's on the road to recovery starting in the back half of season two and she's still uh, she's doing very well for most of season three there she has a, a fairly a big relapse and an extremely painful one to watch because things have been going so well at that moment yeah. Yeah. How, how did you navigate the necessity for showing that it is uh, two steps forward, one steps back for any recovery process yeah. with Sheila's journey and finding the right time for that relapse to happen? Because it, it plays so perfectly because it's not, 
it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel as if Sheila hasn't been doing work and she was just looking for a reason to relapse. It feels very much like this is the end of her rope and she she's doing she is very consciously doing the thing she knows she shouldn't do, but knows will make her feel better in the moment. Yes. Well, putting her in that space of that real pressure cooker of that big fitness expo, it just felt like honest to the experience that, you know, she's that she's under all this pressure. She's in this environment where there's so much scrutiny. And then she's gotten kind of uh, into diet culture. And I wanted to be honest about how seductive diet culture can be, especially from that entrepreneurial side. And so when she gets, as soon as she gets involved in that sort of diet cookie world, it just felt like it was barreling towards a relapse. And, and then after the relapse, a reset where she has to kind of shift gears and get back to what was actually healing to her about fitness and aerobics in the first place, because certainly it's still, while while an empowering uh, space for her, because it gets her into her body and into her strength, There's it's also treacherous because it's a world of where if the focus slips, it can become about just about uh, thinness and just about looks and not about what she initially got into it for. So we just kind of wanted to be honest about how it is uh, the thin ice that she was walking there. Well, I think the the most contemporary moment, and that's probably the wrong word, uh, the thing that felt so relevant to 2023 audiences is the conversation about diet culture versus healthy eating. Because that yeah. can get that can quickly become a very blurry line about, especially right. if you have a personality that tends towards uh, compulsive behavior, where you're counting yeah. calories becomes very seductive and keeping track yes. of all of those things, and yes. to couch that within her relationship this season with this uh, lovely hunk of a man who just wants her to eat yeah. a beautiful heirloom tomato with some sea salt, yeah. Yeah. So we, those were the kind of the two journeys this season of, you know, here she is in this fitness space and this workout space, but then also for this season, she, for the first time is really experiencing pleasure with, in this relationship with food and with love. And so the idea of her falling in love with this guy who is, has a really um, simple relationship to food is just really about pleasure and really about, about connection. So which she's never had before. So, you you know, you have these two opposing, um, uh, these, you have these two, you know, opposing forces in her life right now. One is about diet culture and the other is just about my, what we would now call mindful eating, but really just them was just eating, you know, just eating fresh, healthy, delicious food that's around you in Southern California. You know, how about a tomato instead of a, sealed package of you know reduced fat cookies and um so she's sort of experiencing those two things one is that kind of seductive restriction the pleasure of 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 withholding and the other is this more connected sensual pleasure of just appreciating something in nature and the fact that she can acknowledge that he is not right for her mm-hmm fairly early on. And the way she does it is painful to watch, 
but she's also not willing to settle for someone who lacks the same ambition that she has. And the ambition right. can be one of two, uh, it can be a good ambition or negative ambition. And ultimately, as we see over the course of the season and the series, her ambition morphs into something really, po- a real uh, push for positive change. Right. And in many ways, uh, he is in the same position to push for that same positive change and is content with his life where it is now. Yeah, I think ultimately, I, I, I hope it, it feels painful to see her not wanting to settle into something that that's so easy. You know, ultimately, she does still want to climb mountains and for, for better and worse, you know, she's ambitious. She has big goals and big dreams. And it, it's like, once again, not wanting, even though he is good for her in some ways, he there is also an element of clipping her wings and, you know, wanting her to settle. And she's just not not willing to do that. The series finale. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will not tear up talking about the, the uh, dinner sequence. Yeah. Uh, which is, I mean, Stephanie and I, Stephanie and I really got into a conversation about the, the camera movement and making it eerie without mm. tipping your hand. Uh, yeah. when, did, when did you realize that that, when did you come up with Sheila's happy ending mm. over the course of that episode? Well, what felt honest to me, but redemptive, was that she gets what she wants, but in order to do it, she's alone. I did not believe that she could get what she wants and also feel partnered and be partnered. It's just not true to her story that in order to do it, she was alone. And so the, you know, the heartbreak but redemption of that, you know, that she's, she's liberated, she's free. She's no one's tying her down. No one's make, forcing her to be anyone she's not. And she has a huge amount to give and she has community through her, her work. And she has figured out and cracked female friendship in a real way. She has real intimacy, emotional intimacy with friends, but she does not have a partner. That's just not, that's just, that's just the cost that that her her of her liberation and so i you know we came up with this idea of that being you know that that's not without any regret or pain for her so that she lives she's always still going to live a little bit in her head and that's her fantasy life and so she has this moment where and you know this is a spoiler that, you know, we play with the audience a little bit of, you know, teasing this, what looks like a traditional happy ending and then showing that that is really still uh, a fantasy. But I hope, I hope that it feels um, satisfying in the sense, it's satisfying to me in the sense that at least her fantasy is no longer a very painful and destructive one. You know, that at least her fantasy is one where she's able to kind of indulge in something that feels positive and 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 not destructive. I I love that she replaced those those previous inner voices with uh someone else who 
And she's taken the destructive nature of parts of their relationship and softened them and morphed it into something that feels like a true partnership. Yeah. Uh, and someone who right. is there to support her and isn't there to uh, push her, but in a healthy way, in a, in a supportive, loving way. Right. Yeah. And argue with her in a respectful way, though, a way that's respectful of her experience and intelligence. And that's sort of the dream. I mean, we joke in that scene because uh, Paul Sparks, who is such a wonderful actor and one of the inspirations for, you know, really for storytelling is just what those actors are capable of and knowing Paul and knowing his, the subtlety of his performances, but what he's just a, a terrific, terrific actor and, and everything he does is so deeply authentic and there's just never a false moment with him. But we did say to him, we, when we realized there's all these women on set and we said, so this is her fantasy. So you don't eat. You, you just cut steak for her and put it on her plate and then she eats, you know, and he like, he goes, okay, I got it. You know, and then we, we sort of Rose and Stephanie and I sort of all looked at each other and laughed at that moment. We're like, oh, this is just peak female fantasy moment. He's like, I don't get it, but I'll do it. You know, we're like, great. You don't have to get it. Just do it. (laughs) Just cut the meat, give it to her. You know, that was part of the fantasy for some reason. Um, and then listen to her and listen to her and have a real conversation with her, you know, where you respond to what she says. He thanks her for turning him onto wine. And that was mm-hmm. the moment where I thought, well, I'm getting weird vibes from this whole thing, but that is such a specific thing. It's absolutely real. He's absolutely there with her. And then you tricked me. You tricked me so hard. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. It felt real, didn't it? That's the actor's fault. They're just so good at pretending. I'm curious how your relationship with Rose morphed over the three seasons. Uh, Were you having early conversations with her as you sat down to write seasons two and three? Uh, Was there an ongoing conversation between the two of you about where Sheila was going to end up? Yes. Well, Rose is the best. She spoiled me for all eternity for collaborations with actors because she's both, um, you know, from the initial conversations we have with her, she, you know, her only kind of concerns were really about it being, um, you know, authentic and brave and not pulling punches. I mean, that was really her thing, um, which is such a wonderful, um, you know, influence for her to have. It's just like, hey, I don't want you to pull back. I don't want you to be afraid. Like, I love how dark this is. I love the danger of this. And that's what I'm attracted to. And so, wow, what a great problem to have. So she, um, <laughs> you know, that she's brave and, and so in some ways braver than I am. And there were certain things that I thought, oh, I don't know about this. And, you know, it, this season, even just having her always knowing that she wasn't, that she would, she was game um, uh, for, for really everything. And so, yeah, just um, she, really took so much ownership of the character uh, and felt so connected to her, um, but in a way that, like I said, was never, um, she was never nervous about her, you know, being a bad mother or wife or or any of her, um, any of the darker impulses or, or, or anything she said. Um, if anything, she would only kind of push back on me if I, if I got nervous about something or cut something, she'd be like, wait a minute, where'd that go? You know, I'm like, oh, I got nervous about it. She said, no, 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 we do the thing we're nervous of. We do the thing we're scared of. 
Um, so she was so steadfast and so brave. Um, so I just love that about her. So just inspired and, and really just her abilities, you know, inspired me a lot, you know, just knowing what she's capable of. And it's sort of like wanting to keep raising the bar and see if she'll, she'll, she'll jump over it. Um, she was, she's very, uh, respectful of my process. You know, she's not someone who's, um, trying to, um, get in the way of the writer's room or the writer's process in any way. You know, she's really like, can't wait to read it. And then we'll have conversations. Um, um, our process, um, throughout the filming was sort of, was really fluid and great. You know, we would talk every day before shooting. I would, you know, meet her in hair and makeup and we'd talk through the scenes and she'd ask any questions and, we just make sure we knew where we were in the story because we shoot so out of sequence. And, um, so, and, and, and that was it. It was, it was pretty frictionless and, and, and just really about, um, her wanting to, um, you know, inhabit it fully and make sure I wasn't, um, you know, getting to, um, to, uh, you know, conventional or, <laughs> or nervous, um, and keeping the edges where they were. So that was really, it, it's just, it's, she's just a delight to work with. She's such a joy to work with. It's such an unflinching performance because there's, there's not only reacting to the amount of negative self-talk and putting yourself in this position of being in leotards and sweating and exercising yeah. on camera, but there's also the very, the very penetrating shooting style of physical, which is straight, like camera yes. straight on Rosebud, right. directly right. into the camera, and she is that's right twitching at every negative thought that is popping through her head. Yeah, and I cannot imagine having to stare down that lens, right, and act out these these moments, right. I know, and our our we had the most wonderful Steadicam operator with us the, all three seasons. Um, a wonderful Mark who became her really like scene partner for so much of it because he and doing this dance and he's just like a very intuitive, you know, mover with her. And so they create they had such a great rhythm and and um yeah, it's just it's really raw, it's really bare. And she just um there's never any fear with it. She's technically such a wonderful actor as well. You know, she knows how to conserve her energy, really put everything where exactly where it needs to be in just the right moment, and then sort of keep herself contained. Um, so I just really respect her process a lot. And then I got the op opportunity to direct this season, which was so much fun. Um, so, you know, very nervous about it, but it ended up just being such a little delight to do because, you know, we already had such a wonderful rhythm in place with her, with everyone. Um, but getting my hands on, you know, get sitting in that chair and, and, um, getting to see her from that perspective, I just was, um, you know, you're, you're all the more impressed by just her, her, um, what she's capable of technically on top of everything else she does you know emotionally and with humor and everything but she's just a very very skilled um actor so it becomes it's also a very efficient process because she's just so aware of her position her light the camera like she doesn't have to like wear herself out doing that because she's just so damn good 
Uh, during your directing, did you have Stephanie as your yeah. inner voice throughout the entire thing? Oh, inner and outer. I mean, Stephanie was right by my side. I was like, you're hanging out here with me, dude. Um, she absolutely held my hand through the whole thing. And um, she was so great. So great. Why? Uh, that was episode nine, right? Why that particular yes. episode? Um, because it was a bottle episode. So I thought it would be a nice, uh, you know, uh, easier first step for me <laughs> directing for the first time. But as it happens, bottle episodes are actually quite difficult to do because you have no leeway, you know, there's nothing to cut to. So you can't just kind of put it together and post, you know, you actually have to have a very, very good plan going into it. And so it was challenging and, but really, really fun. I just absolutely loved doing it. And they were so terrific. I mean, our actors, so a bottle episode with our actors, I mean, they did 90% of the work for me. So I made it easy on myself. That, that ninth episode where is the most real, real, uh, most realistic depiction <laughs> of an estranged couple I have seen in a very long time because they are reconciling and then they're not and then old wounds get yeah. endless yeah. fights and her not remembering where they got the the little ashtray yeah I love that moment it's 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 um it felt like a, a nice opportunity to sort of give their relationship its kind of real ending and so we got to do what felt like a play where you kind of you play out all that, you know, we created this premise that kept them, you know, the force them together. And then, and then it allowed that marriage, which was really the beginning of this show, you know, instead of the kernel of, of the idea of this, you know, marriage coming apart and really kind of examine it and end it in a real way. So that, that was the goal with, with that episode. And I think it came out pretty great. And I have to before we before we wrap up, and I could I could absolutely keep going for another ninety minutes, no problem. <laughs> so fun to uh, But <laughs> I'm sorry, are you I'm so delighted. The number of texts I get at the start of every season of friends saying, "Is are you excited to be represented on screen again? Is it nice to be seen again?" And I'm like, "That's really dark, guys." But I appreciate oh. it. I appreciate that you've seen it. Uh, I I think I think that episode four is so spectacular in terms of uh, Sheila and Kelly having this night together, maybe. Mm -hmm. And the the conversations that they have, the conversations they have on like on top of one another, not really hearing the other person. Uh, you have Zoe Deschanel singing a song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't that fun? Doesn't she sound amazing? She's such a wonderful vocalist. I mean... She really crushed it. She sang that live, of course, you know. She's not going to lip sync. No. No. She's an old no, school no. entertainer. No, she's a real entertainer. She's a real performer, real musician. Where was the line for you in the writer's room of how far can we push this mm. before it tips over into a definitive answer? Because I've seen the episode yeah. uh, twice. I... Yeah. I don't know what is real and what is not real yeah. Yeah. in certain instances. Yeah. Um, it felt like, you know, we really found it in, in the shooting. 
Um, I think there were certain moments we decided um, were definitely happening and others we knew we definitely knew weren't, but then there was this like thin line in between them where we weren't sure. Um, and, uh, that we, we got to play around with and, um, some of the moments in that, in that, you know, hotel room, just, we just kind of let them go at it and it was really surprising. So it was a surprise to us, you know, we were just, you know, like I said, like I knew the parameters, like I knew where I wanted it to definitely be real and where, how far I wanted to go. But in the middle, it was like, let's just let them, let them, you know, go at it and see what happens. So it, it gets pretty wild in there. And just, it's just two wonderful, you know, performers, just, just, you know, um, being, being really let loose there. Yeah. And just, and just, yeah. And just capturing it. It ends on such a dark note, mm-hmm. but at the same time, once once we and Sheila move beyond that moment with the figure eights in the bathtub, the worst thing that Sheila could have imagined has just happened, where she yeah. has been like fully uh, physically exposed on a runway in front of strangers. Whether they laughed or yeah. not, or whether that was in her mind, is yeah. uh, immaterial because that's how she that's what she saw. And then after that, it is, it feels like a real steady bit by bit period of growth for her because she has faced down the worst thing that can happen and she understands yeah. what that means. Yeah, exactly. I think it it becomes um it becomes a reset because what if your worst fear is realized? You know, what if you really are exposed and then you realize you live through it and then it's like a rebuilding process from there. In a way, it's the best thing that could have happened to her is to just get you know fully exposed and there you are you've survived it and now um and now rebuild and move on and there's a resilience there that kind of whooshes in i i i can't say enough nice things about physical and i can't say enough nice things about the stories that you have brought to life over the last three seasons and i very much appreciate you taking this much time out of your day oh well you are i mean it is an it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I so appreciate the the thoughtful your your really thoughtful uh, you know reading of the show. It's just so much. It's so gratifying to talk to someone that has thought about it so much and and, and watched it so carefully. I just really appreciate it. Mm-hmm.